Hello, welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. This is episode 555. My name is Tim. I am your host. And we've got things a little bit different for you today. Uh, Dad's actually not well, so he couldn't be in the studio. He was going to wrap up uh, the last half of the last chapter of Matthew, but uh, alas, we will wait for next week for that one. Uh, And so instead, we've got a very special treat. I am joined uh, by a friend of the podcast, my friend, uh, Dr. Bradley Jerzak. Brad, welcome. Hey, good to see you again. It's good to see you too. Long time no see. Uh, you, you and I were actually hanging out at the at the kitchen table at Dad's house only like a week and a half ago. Uh, that was that, magnificent. It was an amazing time. Uh, and if you're regular listeners of the podcast, you know we actually just recently wrapped the beautiful gospel conference. If you weren't here, uh, what a shame! You missed an incredible time. If you were here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was great. Actually, we got I got a chance to meet uh, several podcast listeners uh, who. Uh, really appreciate this podcast and, and you specifically, Brad, they, they really appreciate when you're on and, and bring some illumination to some things. Um, so last week, dad was uh, preaching, he kind of split it. He did uh, the first half of Matthew 28, which was the resurrection. And then he just kind of talked on resurrection in general. And so I thought we'd just kind of keep going on the resurrection. I thought you might have a thing or two to say about the resurrection. <laughs> Yeah, it it being somewhat central to our faith and all. Um, yes. So I'm not sure where to jump in. Uh, I wrote down some questions, and I, I will I'll ask these this first question, and then we'll just see where it goes. Is that cool with you? Sure. All right. So um, I don't usually read my questions, but this one's a bit of a mouthful, so I scripted it for myself. Uh, Dad was talking about last week. Um, that most of the Western church has a very personal view of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, Jesus died to save me from my sins, uh, sins plural. Uh, what's the biblical evidence that the resurrection was all about the restoration of all things or the beginning of a new creation? These are two concepts that dad brought up last week. Uh, and a follow-up question to that that I'll just go ahead and get get out of the way right now, which is why is it important that we gain that larger, uh, more cosmic understanding of the resurrection? Yeah, you don't like the easy questions, do no, you, Tim? No, no. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, first of all, I want to say that I uh, <clears throat> that I don't I, I don't want to downplay the importance of the personal aspect of the resurrection. Yeah, you know that is part of it. We believe uh, in the personal resurrection of of Jesus Christ. Um, we believe that our individual baptisms are a participation in the in that one death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that it does matter for me. And that Paul makes an appeal uh, in First Corinthians, the resurrection chapter, to to the importance of a personal resurrection for us. If Christ is not raised, your hope is in vain. And so, um, so so. I don't want to oversteer the car from one ditch to the other and lose that personal element. Of course it matters to us. It's an existential question for every human being. Uh, What is the meaning of my life and what am I going to offer Christ when I meet him on the final day? And will I be raised to immortality in a resurrection body, whatever that means. Um, and so that, that all matters a lot, but I think that your dad and, and, and that you are right in asking the other question, then what about the idea of the resurrection in, 
uh, as a totality, as a telos. And so let's learn that word together again. Telos is the word that we translate end or fulfillment, or um, you could think of it as what's the end game? Mm -hmm. What is the telos of a human being? What is the telos, the end, the goal, the outcome of God's good creation, especially in light of the fact that God's good creation has had a stumble and needs to be restored. So then we don't just ask what's going to become of me. We ask what's going to become of us as a human race, um, us as created beings, what's going to become of the universe, you know? And that's where this idea of, of, a a cosmic restoration becomes very important in the New Testament. So what evidence? You wanted some evidence, I guess. Well, I looked, I look for it in some of the preaching in the New Testament and in the and in the epistles, which is also actually preaching. And so there's a few really key texts there. Um we get this this uh idea of the restoration of all things as early as Acts chapter three, when Peter is is talking about the gospel. It's one of the first times he preaches the gospel after Pentecost. And, and he, he, he says that uh, he's talking about Christ returning at some point um, for the restoration of all things. That's which implies that something good was broken and needs to be repaired or something alive has perished or is perishing and needs to be resurrected. And so um, this became a very important phrase in the early church. In fact, what would normally just be maybe Peter uh, meant it as an offhand statement, um, the restoration of all things actually became a theology. You know, it got filled out. Um, and we get other texts like that, but but a really key one um, comes to us from uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I mentioned the resurrection chapter. I'm going to just open that in my in my just iPhone Bible. <laughs> so Paul is talking about the resurrection and what will be the telos, the end game. We're going to come back to that word again later because it's the word that Jesus uses on the cross when he says it is finished. Mm. So we've got two teloses. We've got the cross telos and we've got the end of time telos. And the New Testament actually connects them in an important way that we'll get back to. But for now, this idea of a restoration of all things, here's how, here's how Paul puts it in the chapter that I believe is the strongest telescope in the New Testament. If you want to look into the future, even if you read Revelation chapter 21 and 22, you're mm -hmm. still seeing processes. You're still seeing judgment. You're still seeing conversion. You're even, you're still seeing the church and the bride issuing invitations, both to those outside the city, but also to the Lord Jesus. How long, Lord, come? Would you yeah. please come soon, soon? <laughs> well, 1 Corinthians 15 looks even beyond that. So this, this is very important. I'm going to start at verse 20. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. That's an important word, first fruits. Um, in his death, and resurrection, uh, we are anticipating 
what happens for all who've fallen asleep or died. He's the first fruits, which is the sign of, of the great harvest to come. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Now, who 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 is this extend to? Verse 22 is a huge verse. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all good Christians. Yeah. <laughs> no. So in Christ all will be made alive. Sometimes when the Bible uses the word all, it's it's just using it of like all good Christians, not here. This is about as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It's symmetrical, right? It's mm. all all is all. So can all I will, and I hate to interrupt you, but I want to I think this is an important thing because the I'm reading the New Living Translation, which is kind of my regular go-to because it's easy to read, but yeah. at times it the way it's put the Greek into English can be misleading. And so I'll just read yeah. from here. Uh, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Uh, oh my I'm guessing goodness. that that is um, <laughs> that they're reading something into the Greek that's not there. <laughs> they really are imposing a theology on the text that is yeah. not there in the text. Yeah. But what they're trying to do something symmetrical, like mm-hmm. they're trying to say everyone's an Adam, they die, and then everyone who is in Christ through conversion, yep. they get made alive. So it loses the symmetry in a sense that the question. So, in a sense, they're Adam universalists. That ah. is, that what what Adam did to the human race applies to everyone. What Christ did for the human race doesn't. Like, and this is a problem with that. So they've because imposed that's, a theology that's lacking on the text. that parallelism, which is clearly yeah, it there. Does. Yeah, and that's just horrifying. I just, it is. And so here's a th- and the reason I stopped you because I think it's really important because I think that yeah. some of our listeners would open whichever text they're reading, and the, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, English translations, and I had a lot of fun sitting in the car a couple weeks ago with you and Cherith and Brian talking about various translations and and some of the ways that Brian tests translations and stuff like that. And it's really, really important that people understand uh, that the each of these English translations uh, are going to be coming from a different angle. And at times, I, the phrase you've just used are imposing a theology on the text. Uh, and so I think personally, anytime I get to something this critical, and funny enough, I actually just read this passage just yesterday, not even knowing that you and I were going to have this conversation. But uh, I I was reading it in the New Living, and I hit that, and I was like, I, I'm not sure. I feel like they're putting something in there that I need to double check. So for me personally, and I'd really be interested in your process, but when I hit something, when I bump up against something in an English translation, I just grab at least two more. One of the ones that I go to personally, if I'm reading the New Testament, is the New Testament for everyone, which is uh, N.T. Wright's um, translation. He's a New Testament scholar who has absolutely just engrossed himself for you know decades in uh, first century Palestine culture and, and understanding these things. So I really trust his approach to it. Uh, so that, that one is where I went to next. Verse 22 uh, is very similar to what you just read. All die in Adam, you see, and all will be made alive in the Messiah. Uh, just straight up parallelism, no, no injection of anything else in there. Yeah. And I should say that, you know, normally the New New Living is a very good translation because not only did they have Greek and Hebrew scholars, but they had English scholars, which is really cool. Um, they made sure that there was a sort of a, a steady standard of English level through the whole text to make it like Times Magazine 
that that was their goal. Wow. And they did a good yeah. job of that. Yeah. But it's they've blown it on this verse. Indeed. And you know, partly it could be because they had a translation committee. So when you have a translation committee, you start having theological agendas and arguments that dumb mm-hmm. down the text. Yeah. In N.T. Wright's case, he wasn't bound to that. And so the downside is then you're getting N.T. Wright's theology, and yep. sometimes he blows it. I, I can think of an example in Romans 5 where he, it's a disaster. He's in, added words that weren't in the hmm. in the Greek that changed yeah. the meaning. Yeah. So it happens to all these things. And, and so it's good to have these translations side by side. You don't need to know Greek, but it's very easy to go to Bible Gateway and compare 20 translations and take yeah. note of the important differences. So this yeah. is a this is one of the most, uh, you know, straightforward statements about the resurrection of all in Christ in the whole Bible. One of them. Yeah. But, but, but like, I, I can think of about 30 some texts like this, but this is in the top three for clarity. Yeah. Anyway, Just I'm sorry. I, I derailed this, but I think that was a really important little. Uh, yeah. I don't think that here. was derailing. Was it? It was an important <laughs> clarification. Yeah. So uh, verse 23, but each in turn. So again, he mentions Christ, the first fruit. So he's the first one who's raised from the dead. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So you've got Christ raised, you've got believers raised, and then he brings everything into subjection under his feet. Um, And he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then he clarifies, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything he's put under him, it's clear that this does not include God. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Everything else is under his feet. He's con- There's nothing that's not, um, that, that remains unvanquished. And, and it's not just defeated. So this is very important. Um, yeah. Colossians 1 says of these same categories that it, in Christ, in his blood, he reconciled them to himself. Things visible and things invisible, including the um, authorities, powers, and principalities, mm-hmm. reconciled through his blood. What, imagine, what are the invisible things that need to be reconciled through his blood? That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, we've also got Philippians chapter 2. Every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. So he's got these categories. So at every layer of creation, including that which has ascended and that which has descended, all of them in the end bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. They confess him as Lord and God is glorified. And the confession there is baptismal confession. It's a, it's a joyous confession. So in, in, Often, uh, I when I was a younger preacher, I, I'm embarrassed to say I used to say, and some will re- some will confess him with gritted teeth and then go off to eternal conscious torment. That's just not what the text says. Mm. Um, and so this kind of um, everything is vanquished means everyone and all things bow the knee to him in, in a confession of lordship. And when there's no more enemies, he hands it all over to God, his father. And then we're going to get to what for some of the church fathers is uh, the most important verse in the Bible. And I'll explain why. I'll I'll give you a chance to comment, and then I'll explain why it's so important to them. When he has done this, 
when he's done what? When when he's vanquished every enemy, there are no more enemies, there is no more darkness. Then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him. That also comes up in Ephesians 1. Here's the telos. Here's the end game. The summing up of all things in Jesus Christ. And that's how that's how Paul sees it. Everything is going to be summed up in him, which, which is a commentary in the verse above where we talked about, as in Adam, so all in Christ. Here we go. Here's the phrase, so that God may be all in all. Or some of the church fathers would cite that as that God may be all and in all. So, before I explain why that's so important, do you have any thoughts, Tim? I think... Or questions or... Yeah, I... I mean, I, I think that understanding, you know, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, I give it to you. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. When we start seeing these this talk about authority and the order of things, uh, my mind immediately starts f- like asking myself, well, where do I fit in in this equation? Uh, and so uh, as, as an heir, as one who's been given authority by Christ, I know where that authority has come from. And this is another great example of, of just what that looks like and will continue to look like right to the, to the end of the age. Yeah. Very good. And, you know, like, so I mentioned the Ephesians passage. I, I want to, I want people to hear it for themselves that um, in Ephesians one, Paul, Paul says that, um, Oh my goodness, I hardly know where to start because his sentences are ridiculously <laughs> long. Um, but let's say, starting verse 7, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Yeah. Uh, when did that happen? Well, at the cross. Yeah. At the cross. Then who's us? Well, all those who, who for whom he died. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when times reach their fulfillment. Ah. What is, and so he's made known this, the mystery of his will, and he's going to put this will into effect. When is he going to put the mystery of his will into effect? When times reach their telos, a fulfillment, Mm. you know, and what will that be? to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Um, and so, so it's this idea of this, the, uh, I think it's new American standard perhaps says that the summing up of all things in Christ. Yeah. So that's the, that's the end game. That's the goal. That's the telos. And that's, that's an exciting prospect. Now, <clears throat> Um, here's why that phrase in first Corinthians 15 was so important to, to the folks. I think I need to do two stages here. One is why is it so important? And then two, what criteria do we have for picking a verse like that? Hmm. So, um, the reason is what happens for all of us, and we don't even realize it quite often is that we will enter the Bible through a portal which will be one verse or passage, and that becomes a premise, right? So 
Um, some of the portals through which I entered scripture as a little boy were John 3, 16. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And, and you have that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So yeah. my portal for for or doorway into scripture was that was God's love for us and his desire um, that through his son, we would experience eternal life. I think that's a great, a great portal. Another one was Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so seeking the kingdom was that that was a good entry point for me. Um, But, but we also um, get this idea of, we want to know how it ends. We want to know what the telos is and, and how we answer that changes depending on what verse we think describes the telos. Hmm. So for example, if I read, um, uh, wide is the door that leads to destruction, few narrow is the gate that leads to life and few are those who will find it or few are those who find it. If I think that's the telos, then that means I think that in the end, most people will not experience eternal life, Mm -hmm. that a very narrow sliver of the human race can be saved. And that would be, of course, you would think that if that verse is your telos. Yeah. Um, another could be there's a version of, of sort of like that First Corinthians 15 verse about Adam and Christ in Romans 5. One of the verses says, as in, as in, you know, as in Adam, many perish, so in Christ, many are saved. Oh, okay. So maybe it won't be a narrow sliver. Maybe it'll be like some through some miracle, one billion out of eight. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, no, there's almost two billion who claim to be Christians right now. So two, two out, that's one quarter. That's pretty, that's many. That's not just one percent. That's like, and if that's if that's your portal. Or, or for what you think the end game is in scripture, then, then you end up with that. Um, but guys like Origen of Alexandria and Gregory of Nyssa, especially also Isaac, the Syrian, and probably Maximus, the confessor, we have a whole string of, of early church theologians who said, actually, we think the end game is first Corinthians 15. Hmm. God will be all and in all. Yeah. So now, um, a couple th- things you have to do with that is why choose that one, and how does it affect your reading of the rest of Scripture? Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so for me, John three sixteen, uh, you know, why I chose that one is because it's the earliest one that I learned, and I inherited from my parents, and it was a, and it provided a good image of God, and mm-hmm. also motivation for evangelism. And so that that seemed fairly healthy. Um, <clears throat> so that's a reason. Um, there's others. Calvinists would start with with uh, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and then God made you alive. Yeah. And so that they like that one because it says that that God will, by grace, God elects some to be saved um, through His own sovereign will, and and. Um, and so God's will is accomplished, even if it, it because it's only meant for the save the elect. Mm-hmm. It's not like He failed to save those who don't come to Christ. It's that He determined that they wouldn't. It's like, ugh. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> and that's the reasoning. <laughs> yeah. So, 
we come to Origin and Gregory and Isaac and Maximus and we go, why did you guys pick that one? And they're like, well, because we want to read from the end. We want to know how it goes, how things end up, how the purposes of God come to their telos, to their fulfillment. And this scripture just outright tells us, gives us, it shows us the furthest place in the timeline. So that's where you go. Hmm. Now, how will we interpret those other verses? Well, they are, they are waypoints on the way to the telos. So even right now, some are perishing and some are, are coming to Christ. Yep. That's on the way to the telos. What about judgment? Well, yeah, that's on the way to the telos. Mm -hmm. What about heaven and hell? Yep. That's on the way to the telos, but we know what the telos is. So they were drawn to this verse for that reason. Yeah. So how do we, (laughs) the tricky thing, I guess, really comes down to based on, on that thesis is how do you pick your verse, your, you know, how do you determine? And I love what you've just said in terms of they chose that because it is the end and thus everything has to point to, uh, to the end. Um, Think of it this How way, do we too. even know what, what our verse is? Because like, a lot of people would be totally unconscious of the filter in which they're, they're, through which they're reading the rest of the scriptures. Yeah, that's a great question. So, so I, think it, I think what I want to say is, first of all, we are making a judgment call, right? And yeah. so be careful of using your verse as dogma. <laughs> what mm. Dogma would be like non-negotiable doctrine. Yeah, I'm like... And I wouldn't do that with any, I don't want to do that with any verse, but, but what you're showing us is we aren't even mindful of what our verse might be. Um, And we might not have a criteria or there may be a ugly hidden one that we've inherited and don't even know it. So um, one way we could talk about it is how, how does it all end? And then, and then whatever you tell me, I'm like, so is there biblical warrant for your answer? And we go, yes. And then we would tell you the verse comes out. Yeah. And I do hear this one a lot. I'm like, what if God in the end is all in all? And then, and then there'll be a rebuttal, but it says that narrow is the gate and few will find it. Oh, okay. So that's your verse. I get it. And yes, that's a waypoint on the way to the telos, but that verse doesn't claim to be the telos. Um, that verse is, the, is, is from the, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's about some opt in to Jesus and some opt out. And guess what? Those who opt out, we see destruction. Watch the news today. Yeah. Worse, many Christians opt out, right? They don't want to follow the Jesus way. Yeah. Um, they claim Christ. But when we read the Sermon on the Mount, I'm told by many Christians that that this is idealistic and unrealistic and not, not practicable. I'm like, okay. So, so uh, the foolish man who builds his house in the rock, hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Okay. So you've opted out. You might be a Christian then, but are you a Jesus follower? Mm. You know? So, um, so if, if, uh, if you had asked me as a little boy, why is John three sixteen your a central verse for you? I would have said because I don't want my cousins to go to hell. See that that was my telos. Sure, the telos is that unbelievers go my my that I love, that I play with, that that I I pray for, that 
that the telos is if I can't get them saved by the time they die, they're going to burn forever. That's my telos. So it's very motivating, but also <laughs> paralyzing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so Paul comes along and says, yeah, there's a judgment coming. No question about it. First Corinthians three, we're all going to pass through the fire. Mm-hmm. And some who pass through the fire will come out as, as gold, silver, and precious stones. But some, all of the, all of their, everything they would have brought into the, the kingdom it's all burned up like wood hay and stubble but they are saved as those through fire so that's at least something but there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth when we realize we wasted our entire lives so so what i'm doing right now is i'm saying i judgment matters and your life matters and and experiencing eternal life now matters and wasting your life really really matters so yeah. don't right come to christ because people you know, but if you want to know the telos, it's there in First Corinthians 15. What that brings me to is this. What are the, um, I'm afraid that people who use the First Corinthians 15, God will be all in all, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So faith doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't matter. The cross doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter. Judgment doesn't matter. I'm like, that's absolutely wrong. Right. They failed to take into account the other texts. Yeah. So, which, as you said, are waypoints so I along just, the way. Right. And, and not only maybe waypoints, but let's use this word the means. What is the means of getting to 1 Corinthians 15? Hmm. The means of getting through to 1 Corinthians 15 is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. His death and resurrection on Passion Weekend, a, a willing faith response to him, mm-hmm. a final judgment where we recognize the meaning of our lives and what we can give or can't give. And then um, tears. And then he will wipe every tear from our eyes. So the means of getting to the end is, is important. It'd be, it'd be like saying, well, in in the end we had a baby, but we didn't have sex and we didn't get (laughs) pregnant. And my wife didn't carry a baby and she didn't go through labor and she didn't deliver it, but the baby will just show up. No, it won't. Yeah. (laughs) There's a means to this end. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I'm going to use blog on that, Tim. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to use a bad word in just a second, but uh, I I think what you uh, what I hear you saying, and I've I've heard you say before, but it is the nuance that uh, would I suppose be your rebuttal when people use and here's the bad word, the word universalist, and they say, oh well, Brad's a universalist because he says in the end, uh, you know, everything will will come under Christ's dominion, and ever, you know, uh, the, her gates will never be shut. Uh, and you're saying that no, no, there's still <laughs> all of these things, all of these scriptures, uh, while they must uh, bow to the the final tell us the the final outcome, uh, they are legitimate, necessary. Uh, stops along the way, a, a, a necessary part of the process by which he is reconciling all things to himself. Yeah, they are the means of this great grace. And I would, I don't like the word universalist because most universalists I meet downplay the means to the end. 
they just think about the end and somehow believe it's automatic. And I'm like, well, if that's a universalist, I'm out. Right. Yeah, that's you know, basically, you know, are, I, I can check out completely because in the end, it's all going to work out anyway. So why bother? Uh, right. So I wouldn't need to go share the good news. In right. fact, is there good news other than, you know, like, so Jesus doesn't even matter. The right. cross, judgment, sin, none of that matter. Yeah. I, I'm like, no, no, so, I do have some friends who this, this matters greatly to them. Yeah. And they identify as universalists like Robin Perry or David Bentley Hart. They're, they're fully committed to the means to the end and they teach it well. Mm-hmm. But I, in terms of that term, that label, yeah, they would be in the minority in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, all right. You said something, uh, and I'm going to ask you a question that I asked Dad last week because uh, I think it's a really helpful one for us, uh, for our listeners. Uh, it's an it's an equipping question, I think. So I'm going to ask this question, and then I'm going to pause for a little ad, which will give you just a couple minutes to collect your thoughts, uh, and then you can give your answer. So here's my question. Uh, given what you've just said, uh, how... How do you share the gospel? If you believe it's important to tell people about coming to saving faith in Christ, finding abundant life in Christ, however you want to word it, and you can you can fill in that blank for me. What's your approach? How do you introduce people to Jesus? Is I guess my question. Uh, and so I'll let you think on that for just a second while I tell our listeners uh, that today's episode is brought to you by the Impact Nation's Survive to Thrive campaign. Uh, as I'm sure you know, we are uh, in the practice of rescuing lives. We like to say we rescue lives with a really big gospel. Uh, and we are rescuing people from very dangerous situations all over the world. One of those rescue missions is what we call Survive to Thrive. And it is a mission to rescue pregnant teens in Uganda. Uh, these are young women, some as young as, I've heard as young as 12, uh, who have been abused and are now uh, pregnant uh, at at the hands of their abuser and have now been abandoned, uh, rejected. They are alone. Oftentimes we find them on the streets. Uh, they will come up to the door of our shelters and say, please, I've got nothing. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm broken. Uh, what do I do now? Uh, and that's where the beautiful gospel in action uh, takes place. We begin to see God's great rescue mission for these desperate, desperate young women. And we get to take part. You get to take part. Uh, and so Impact Nations is uh, rescuing these young women by uh, many of them were getting into shelter. Others were providing medical care in local hospitals. Uh, they are rejected and alone. They are looked down upon because they're pregnant teens. So there's great shame in that. Uh, so we're actually working with local hospitals to create what we call safe motherhood spaces, where they've got a safe place to go and get their medical checkups, their prenatals and stuff. Uh, we are paying for all of their prenatal exams. We're paying for their labor and delivery uh, and then uh, helping to care for them and either get them reunited with family where it's safe. Um, in some cases, we're retraining them. Uh, they don't have any education. We're training them up so they can go and find employment or start their own business to provide for their baby. Uh, it's a it's a complete holistic package. It's absolutely incredible. You don't want to miss out. So please participate with us. Uh, you can do that at impactnations.com slash thrive. Uh, every gift you give right now, by the way, is being doubled. So you're going to rescue twice as many lives as you thought. Uh, and I promise you, you will be absolutely changing the future. You are. This is a multi-generational effect, right? Right off the bat, you're, you're literally saving two lives. Imagine a, a, a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl, her body is not designed to, to carry a baby. 
Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of medical inter- intervention required just to save her life and save her baby's life. So you're going to save two lives right off the bat, and you're going to begin to set them up for uh, generation to come, a completely different thing, to breaking the cycle of poverty. So please don't miss out right now, uh, impactnations.com slash thrive. Hit pause, uh, go do it, join us, please, uh, and then come back and listen to Brad's awesome answer to the question that I have just asked, which I will rephrase one more time. Brad, how do you share the gospel? Unpaused. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks, Tim. Um, <clears throat> well, as you know from reading the gospels yourself, that how we share the gospel really depends on who we're sharing it with. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to have a cookie cutter answer, but my my answer does come along these kind of these lines that you would you would see, especially in John's gospel. So first I'll set up jo- the Johannine approach, and then I'll share how I might do it. And so the Johannine approach um, is probably the most mature presentation of the gospel in the Bible because it's already a whole generation after the other gospels and Paul. Uh, the, all these other, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those, this is 30 years or more earlier. Uh, maybe even 60 in some cases. Paul's letters also, Paul was dead by, by the early 60s. Now John's writing in the 90s. Wow. So a mature theology, a mature and beautiful gospel where, where John recognizes and the Jesus of John are not talking about when you, you need to believe in Jesus so that you go to heaven and don't go to hell after you die. That's yeah. that's not how they think about it. They didn't even think that way. What they think of is, is you see in John 3 where God sees a world that is perishing. Yeah. And per, per, think about uh, rotting, right? P- plants that perish. And he sees lives that are unraveling. And he sees a general illness that we would call alienation. Mm -hmm. That's what he means by perishing. And so God sees this world and he so loves this world. And so doesn't just mean so much. He loves the world in this way. God, in this way, God loved the world. He sent his son with a message of love and forgiveness so that you, so that he can interrupt this downward spiral that we're in so that he can, he can rescue us um, out of alienation and into eternal life. And again, so then, so hell isn't where you go someday when you die. Hell is the alienation people are experiencing right now in their lives. Hell is what's happening in Uganda to these girls who are victims of rape and incest and now have to face delivering a baby that their body can't deliver. That's hell. That is a world that's perishing. That's a world in alienation. And they're experiencing it personally where they've been shamed and excluded and sent out. And now that, so even through no fault of their own, they're experiencing the consequences of sin in this world, which is this hellish alienation. And then the rescue is, is a, that, that God has revealed in his son that, that we are already loved even in our condition. We are already forgiven, even where we've gone astray, and that eternal life is knowing him now, abundance in John 10.10. 10. Um, another way of saying that would be um, that we experience um, loving presence in communion, and we, we, 
we where we were in alienation. So if hell is alienation, then heaven is communion. And that communion is with God, with ourselves, with one another, and with the world around us. So that's that's eternal life, knowing God and knowing his son, and then um, experiencing the goodness of that, of that uh, even now. And then this extends into the life to come or the age to come. So now how I would say that, well, um, I'll give you an example from a couple of weeks ago. So I met a, a young man in recovery. Um, he said, I'm the, I'm the son of, I'm the son of atheists. I'm personally agnostic. Um, I'm in recovery. I've been here for a month and I'm hearing a lot about God, but I don't know what to do with God because I've never even believed in God or thought of God. Um, but he was already experiencing transformation and hope, and he had a sense of belonging, presence, and communion. And, and so, and I knew this. And so that experience of belonging, presence, and communion generated his question, which was, do you think I'll meet God here? <laughs> so I said, well, that's a nice setup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great set. Thanks for setting me up to share the good news, which is part of it, right? This is what happens with impact nations all the time. You give people a sense of, uh, an ex- they taste and see that the Lord is good. And then you could say, well, actually, um, if, if you'll trust your life to him, everything changes, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so with this guy, what I said is, well, I, I don't need to somehow prove there is a a God in the sense of a being among other beings. What I can say is if there's a God, and for me, that's not a doubt statement. It's a faith statement. Mm-hmm. It's not a proof statement. It's a faith statement. Yeah. If there's a God, then that God loves you. And you've already tasted and seen. I'm like, you tell me what's the difference from both before you, showed up here and, and since, and he said, well, before I was acting out in my addiction three times a day and and I couldn't stop. And today I've been sober for one month. I'm like, that sounds like a transformation. He goes, Oh, it's a miracle. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm like, miracles. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, so, so now let's look at it this way. If there's a God, he loves you and knowing him will change your life. And so I'm inviting you to trust him, trust yourself into his care and see what happens. And so that'd be one way of talking about it, that we we surrender to his loving care. And as we surrender to his loving care, we experience the kingdom of God, which is presence and communion. Um, Our friend Craig, you know, from Australia, he puts it this way. God loves everybody and he's forgiven everybody. The party's already started. Come on in. Yeah. And it's really the um, the story of the prodigal son in a nutshell. So mm-hmm. then the good news is that, that if you're a prodigal son slaving away in the fields outside, whether it's hedonism or, or religiosity, both sons were alienated. Mm-hmm. And there's a, the party started and they just come in, come on yeah. in. Yeah. And, um, and then Christ amps that up. He'll, he'll even say, go out quickly into the streets and find those who are on the street corners and behind the hedges and compel them to come in, which is almost like coercive, but it's not like you're, you'd be forcing someone to, 
in, into this kingdom banquet that doesn't want to come. It's yeah. more compel them because they don't think they belong. Compel them because they don't think they're worthy. Compel them because they feel like ashamed and, and unforgiven and like, no, no, I'm telling you, he loves you. You're forgiven. And this yeah. party's for you and you can join it. And so um, when people like this guy I was talking about actually get to taste the transformation, I'm, I'm like, okay, so now you can pray. Like I can pray, but I don't know if there's a God. I'm like, that's okay. Pray this. If there is a God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Mm-hmm. And we do the serenity prayer. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'm like, so if you will give God the benefit of if there's a God, then, then the way you see if there's a God is by watching the transformation in your own life. And here he has a month's track record already. So yeah. <laughs> of what he called a miracle. Yeah. So is that kind of. No, that's marvelous. So, so what's the telos? Oh, the telos is that the restoration of all things and all people, the resurrection of the cosmos into, into an order where no one's excluded. First Corinthians 15, no one's outside. There is no enemy at the gate. Um, yeah. Does that help? Absolutely. Yeah. Am I uh, warm? <laughs> abs- yeah, you bet. So he set you up with a, you know, um, will I find God in this place? Because he was already, you said he's already f- finding that sense of belonging. Um, there's another camp of people that look at this world and don't believe that the party's already started. They don't believe that there is a party or there ever will be a party. We, you know, we, we just yesterday, the world witnessed, uh, this horrific shooting again. Last week we had the shooting in Buffalo. Uh, this, this world is broken. It is messed up. It, uh, alienated, rotting, dead. Uh, it, it is in desperate need of rescue. Uh, you know, if Jesus came announcing the kingdom, it would be easy to look without looking through the eyes of faith, as you've talked about. It would be easy to look and say, there is no party. Uh, you're fooling yourself. Uh, that's a joke. This place sucks, and uh, there's no hope. Where do we start with folks who have that worldview? Yeah, I mean, it. that's a really tough one because I'm – I don't know – day to day, whether I'm going to wake up an optimist or a pessimist <laughs> myself, you know, yeah. whether I'm going to, I, I know that for me, I have evidence that would lead me to despair. And I sense that despair misses the mark and it actually adds to the darkness. Mm. So let's, let's start with some, let's start with some realism that um, that the world is a broken place, and we have the evidence before our very eyes. Yeah. And the world was a broken place when Christ arrived, announcing a new way to be. Yeah. The Sermon on the Mount, if obeyed, instead of excused as impracticable, would is a is a radical social transformation like what if we just stopped killing each other oh no jesus says you've got to start deeper you've got to start with the hatred inside and if you'll come to me i can i can i can work through your fears that generate the hatred that caused the killings okay so so jesus comes along and he announces 
not only the way to overcome this, but he also imparts the spirit of grace by which it can happen. And we've thought it somehow impossible. It's just impossible. It's like, well, hang on. He's Tolstoy pointed this out. There's only like five new commandments there. Like, <laughs> don't kill each other. <laughs> don't abandon your spouse. Stop making vows of allegiance to death-dealing systems. Um, uh, you know, forgive your enemies instead of retaliating. Hmm. He divides that into two. Like, don't use retaliation. And then practice hospitality. Come on, that's not impossible. That's like really basic humanity. And I think Jesus is even saying that. This does not take a super spiritual person or a guru or a mystic. This isn't take a Christian. This is basic humanity. Now, so he lays that out. And some of it was pretty countercultural at the time. Mm -hmm. And he starts this movement. And... And it's a powerful movement that ends up overthrowing the world empire through love yeah. without, without a single violent protest. The only violence in their, that was what they were willing to endure and experience themselves, and it absolutely took down the Roman Empire. It's yeah. quite amazing. Hmm. So... He's laid out a way. He's laid out the grace to do it. And we saw that it worked. Yeah. So John in first John was quite hopeful. He says, look at the, the light has already shone. Jesus came in. He's the true light. It's already shone. And it's been spreading through the world very rapidly from a little town in Galilee. Now it's covered most of the Roman empire. And it's also by, by that time had already entered as far as, as India and perhaps China, mm -hmm. definitely down into Africa and as far away as, as Ireland, you know, like the, <laughs> this thing was explosive growth of light. Yeah. And so he could say, we've seen the light come. We beheld him with our eyes. We heard him with our ears. We touched him. And that light is spreading so rapidly that it's gone. It's gone from, from a, a village all across the, beyond the borders of the greatest world empire at the time. So he was kind of optimistic. Now back to realism. <laughs> um, people who claim to be in that movement of light mm -hmm. are currently the most likely to oppose it. And I'm talking statistically speaking. I'll give you one example. Miroslav Wolf tracked these stats and published them a few years back from Yale. The um, uh, He said white evangelicals are polling at 60% in favor of torture. 60%, yeah. that, which was far, far higher than any other movement. And so I'm like, well, I that was my people. I grew up as a white evangelical. How is it that we've gone from love your enemies to be willing to torture them? Like, what, what's that? So, or how is it that that demographic is the most resistant to the Jesus way? 
I, I, I haven't sorted that out, <laughs> hmm. except to say that it shifted from a, a Jesus following movement into a political identity. Yeah. And that this could have happened as early as when Constantine, the emperor, became a Christian, yeah. which is great. The emperor is a Christian. He's not going to torture Christians anymore. No, but he's going to win the allegiance of Christians who support torture. And so that would be one example where yeah. Yeah. I... I, I just don't know. Yeah. So John Bear comes along and he says, look at, remember the end. Remember the telos. Mm. That telos began at the cross. It is, here's a fun word, inexorable. <laughs> the light is inexorably going to advance. And it may be in like seasons. Mm -hmm. There may be an ebb and flow to this kingdom. Um, but, but it will advance. And we may be in an ebb right now, but what do we have to do? We keep sowing the light. We sow the love. We sow the life. And you mm -hmm. sow and you sow and you sow. And the enemy comes to me with despair and says, you can sow the light and only reap darkness. See? And then he shows me. And then Paul answers back and he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. If you sow in the spirit you will reap in the spirit. And so now I'm so glad I have examples like impact nations and, you know, India. How many people are in this house church movement? <laughs> We're uh, over 900,000 was the last count I heard from our friends. <laughs> so be not deceived. God is not mocked by my despair. What impact nation sows in the spirit, it cannot help reap in the yeah. spirit on a massive scale. Yeah. Yeah. But that's only a million. Yeah. <laughs> and now we'll sow a million and see what happens yeah. and maybe it'll ebb and flow and whatever. But mm -hmm. um, um, the way bear put it was this, if we know that in the end, that God will inexorably bring about the restoration of all things and said, so from the cross, Think about it this way. Jesus is on the cross and he says these words. It's a done deal. <laughs> now it still has to happen, right? Yeah. And so what the what the church or or in its in healthy ways or impact nations, for example, um, Bear said it, it's like this, it's like the spring sun is beginning to dawn mm -hmm. and things are beginning to warm up and suddenly there's some snowdrops and crocuses poking through the snow. Mm, yeah. So I don't need to see, I don't need to prove that how that it's all worked out so far. Yeah. This may take 50,000 more years, yeah. but what I do know is this, when I'm despairing, I go look for the snowdrops. Yeah. Look for the crocuses. Wow. There's a lot of snow and it's actually muddy slush with pee all over it. Oh, but there's the crocuses. <laughs> Yeah. And this isn't a man, it's muddy. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I I I hate this. Oh wait, but there's the snowdrops. Yeah. Right. And yeah. these are like the first fruits then of what will happen. Mm -hmm. But Christ already was that. 
Does yeah. that help at all? Uh, absolutely. Uh, man, I've got so much to say in response to that. I mean, for starters, I think that it is our personal responsibility as followers of Christ to be the crocus sticking out of the snow. It is our responsibility to be, as Christ said, salt and light. We've got to be, uh, we need to be glimmers of hope in the darkness. We need to be the evidence that, yes, the it is springtime, and yes, things are beginning to change. Uh, and I think our personal testimony is a massive part of that. When we face those who are uh, <laughs> unable to see uh, that the party has started, uh, sometimes we got to just start showing them the party in our own lives. And we need to start talking about this is like, and we don't even need to be uh, evangelistic about it in quotes. We don't need to be overtly like, this is what Jesus did for me today sort of thing. But when we begin to show them that actually there is hope and you know what, 10 years ago, I was a messed up dude uh, and my marriage was broken and my, my children were not able to, were not flourishing under my leadership. And yet uh, I, I encountered uh, a whole new way of living and it's changed everything for me. And now my marriage is incredible and, and all these things. When we start to tell our story of how Christ has, has uh, begun to, how the dawn has come in our own lives, um, you can't argue with that for starters. Uh, you can't, you, you know, you can say, well, yeah, but the rest of the world sucks. Okay, maybe, but I can tell you from my perspective, things are beginning to change. Uh, and you can't argue with that. Um, secondly, it, I, I think it's really, really important what you just talked about a few minutes ago in terms of the way the way this kingdom works is through nonviolence. It is they they changed the entire Roman Empire with Neria protest. The the only bit of violence we've got in the Gospels is where Peter goes and pulls out that sword and cuts off one ear, and immediately Jesus says, "No, no, no, that's not how we do things." He he undoes undoes that mistake uh, and says, "If you you want to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword." Like. So uh, this week, there are believers, there are people who call themselves Christ followers, and they are Christ followers, I apologize, but people who are Christians will look at the violence that has just happened in Buffalo and in Texas, and they will say, this is why I own a gun, because there's violence out there, I've got to protect myself, and I think to myself, that is the exact opposite of the Jesus way, and he said so in the garden, Uh, the Jesus way is to lay down your arms, the Jesus way is self-sacrifice, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, self-sacrifice, we must give up our rights, we must give up ourselves, we must give up the violent ways. Uh, and start <laughs> start fighting the spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, if this is not a battle against flesh and blood, then why do we keep on choosing weapons of flesh and blood? Stop it. That's not how we're going to win this war. Uh, the Jesus way is completely different, and that's the way of the kingdom, and that is the telos. So why don't we start getting on with what Jesus declared, which was, I got this, it's in the bag. Why don't we start living like it's in the bag and stop fearing that if we don't hurry up and take control of the situation and change the politics, of this nation or whatever, that uh, we if we don't do that, then God won't have his way. Like he needs us to change politics or, or to fight back in a particular way. Uh, why don't we lay it down and start living the Jesus way and just trust that he does have this and it is finished and it all will be well in the end. And sorry, I didn't mean to go on a rant. I apologize. Snap, <laughs> right? But really, those who've just heard you, don't think big. Think, how will I live today? How can I live today? Yeah. yeah. My my neighbor, uh, how will I relate to my neighbor? Yeah. It's it's not hard. It's not really hard to not go kill your neighbor today. 
<laughs> Indeed. Well done. <laughs> you did it. Wait, another day without you did it again. <laughs> um, and and uh, but these are the you know the the little crucifixions of ego. Yeah. Say, could I be kind, right, and yeah. share and be hospitable? Yeah. So, well, I'm glad you feel this way, Tim, because that's one less person I'm going to have to. <laughs> preemptively retaliate again i guess <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and, and you I do think- have such good news i'm so grateful i really am i'm just so grateful that that the beautiful gospel isn't a theory it's happening on yeah. the ground yeah absolutely. in uganda yeah and there are people out there who are so committed to this that anything you give they'll double yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's awesome. So, and you know what, Brad? That's a great point. Like, if you're if you're listening to this and saying, "I don't know what my testimony is. I'm I am in a valley. Uh, I am in the darkness. I am not feeling like I have got abundant life this week." And I don't know if somebody asked me, "Well, prove it." You know, what is this abundant life? I may not have an answer. You know what? I I get it. I've been in those seasons. Uh, Point to what God's doing around you. If if you can't, if you're in such darkness in your own home and your own family, uh, tell them about Uganda. Tell them my friend Annabelle and her team of women go out and face brokenness every day because they believe it's worth it because they love Jesus. They've seen Jesus in action and they know that through the power of Christ, through the resurrection power of Christ, lives are going to change when they just go and scoop these girls up and say, hey, Jesus has you. Uh, So if you don't have your own testimony to tell this week, tell that one, because there is absolutely uh, hope. The party has started in Uganda, at the very least. Amen. Uh, all right. Well, I think that wraps our hour, Brad. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, we should do it more often. Do we need to redo it? Did I really... Are you going to lose donors now? And I'm well, if, to... I don't know. I'm the one who went on a rant. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if you have questions, you can email podcast at impactnations.com. By the way, some of you have, in the last few weeks, uh, emailed, and they're they're in my inbox, and I've seen them, and I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep up, but we it's been a very, very busy few weeks with the conference and then trying to trying to catch up after that. But uh, do email us. If you got some good questions, uh, then we'll... Uh, if you want to... Ask Bradley a specific question in response to something you've heard today. Uh, feel free to do that. Just say, "Hey, this is a question for Brad," and uh, I guarantee you he'll be back, so we can uh, we can share those questions with him and hear what he has to say. <laughs> You're good for that, yeah, Brad. God will be all in all. Amen. Period. Period. That's the telos right there. <laughs> Uh, this was so helpful. Lots to chew on, lots to think about. Um, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, we are just about done season five, but we got at least one episode left. Uh, so join us again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, or catch us anytime through your favorite podcast app. Just search for the Impact Nations podcast. You can see us on YouTube. Uh, you, you can figure out all those things just by going to impactnations.com slash podcast. But if you're on the web, then uh, why don't you get yourself over to impactnations.com slash thrive. Uh, and learn how you can be a part of the party that has started in Uganda. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Brad, thank you for, for joining us. This has been a delight. My pleasure. Bye-bye now.